You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, buenos dias. Good morning, Metro region of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. Great to have you this morning, buenos dias. Good morning, friends and family. Good morning, Metro area of the San Francisco group. And it's good to have all of you with us this morning, friends, family, especially if you're visiting. We want you to know that it's great to have you joining us this morning. And uh, please let us know, write comments, say hello in the comments section of YouTube if you can, uh, or let us let us know through our website. But uh, good to have everybody. It's Sunday morning and we're here to worship God. We're here to get into God's word. And boy, is there a lot going on in our world right now. Uh, we need God, right? We need prayer and we need God. And I'm so excited about the prayer times we have coming up as a ministry. Um, for those of you who don't know, Wednesday night, we're going to uh, just basically have a night of prayer. And uh, we're going to all pray at midweek and, and have a great time giving our hearts to God, in particular with the elections coming up and so much tension, so much anxiety and stress around that, um, that we just need a lot of prayer for ourselves and for the whole world, but especially for our country. So good to have you here. Uh, let's jump on in, but we're going to first say a prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your deep uh, concern for each of us, Father. Please help us, God, to, now as we open our Bibles, to open our hearts and minds, to humbly listen and allow your word to transform us. Help us, Father, to just drink deeply of your spirit and to be transformed by it, Father. We love you, God. We ask that you bless our Bible study time. Uh, please, God, be, be with our nation. Uh, be with all of us, God, and help us to be men and women of faith and to shine brightly in times that uh, the world is just lost in darkness, God. Help us to be the light of this world and help us to grow now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so great to have us here. I'm starting out with the Lord's Prayer. I want to do a sermon. Uh, we're going to break down the Lord's Prayer and go through it together. But I'm actually going to start in the middle of it, uh, which is a little bit different than, than what we're used to. Um, you know, the Lord's Prayer is a powerful, powerful prayer. And there's so much there. And we're going to walk through it and unpack a lot of this, which will be great in the coming weeks. Um it is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And, and, you know, they asked him, they wanted to know how to pray. They saw something in his prayer life that was either inspiring or convicting or encouraging, but something impacted them about Jesus' prayer life. And, and so they wanted to learn to pray like him. And he taught them this prayer, the classic prayer with, I grew up calling it the Our Father. Or it's called the Lord's Prayer more commonly. Um, and, um, you know, the backdrop says, uh, Jesus teaches them, says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. Of course, they had memorized prayers that they would just babble. And they would do it in public so that everybody would see them praying and think, oh, how spiritual they are, you know. And, 
And like anything good, even if we use it in the wrong way, it comes out wrong and it's, and it's useless, basically. That prayer needs to be done for the right reasons and in the right way, meaning that we pray sincerely from our heart. We speak to God. Now, some people have the false assumption that you're only supposed to pray in a closet or somewhere where nobody can see you because that's what Jesus said, pray in private. What, what he meant was don't do it like the Pharisees. Don't stand out in public and make a big show of it. But he wanted people to pray. And so it says that he said, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And so he gives us this, what is really an amazing outline. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Uh, it's, it's interesting that he ends with that pretty intense warning. But the prayer is really, it's a prayer of humility. It's how he wants us to pray. It's what we should pray about. And um, particularly with everything going on, we're going to jump into what is basically right into the middle of it in, in verse 11, where he says, and forgive us, excuse me, back up my give us today our daily bread and and uh, we're going to start from the middle and work our way out and that's mostly because of the need of the hour because there's so much happening in our world and I think this prayer has a lot to help us and it'll be really good for us all of us so he says in verse 11 give us today our daily bread you know and that that you know, that, that is a very powerful statement tied to many other very powerful concepts in the Bible. And that's what we're going to unpack and look at. Now, the first thing that does, whether you, you may or may not realize it, is it, it's answering a very core fear in us. It's a base fear. How will I survive? What if I run out of food or other important items? You know, it's asking God to sustain me, to keep me going. And, and, um, it's, it's just a very base prayer about our basic needs. Things, weird things happen when we think that, that there might be a scarcity or that items might run out when, when there may not be food or other important items like toilet paper. You know, I mean, we all saw what happened when for some reason, I still to this day don't understand why everybody became afraid of running out of toilet paper. And we know it was a big run on it. And then second to that was paper towels. How that became such an important item, I still don't understand. I'm sure there's some great psychological studies on that. Somebody's researching that. But our big fear is driving to a store and seeing this, this picture right here, empty shelves. That just strikes fear in us because it, it raises the possibility of not having food or not being able to survive. It's, you know, it's that question. How will I survive? How will we exist? How will we get through this time? And, um, and those are very scary things. And that's, it, it's, there's a deep, deep fear in everybody around the world when our food source gets threatened or our basic needs go into scarcity. 
And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, let's just be honest. It's been a very scary time right now with the economy, threats of the housing market crashing, threats of, of, of so many businesses closing. You know, the other day, Disneyland just announced they were laying off 5,000 employees. That's probably some people in our region. That's most, and I know it for sure it's, it's a number of people in the Orange County region that, that, that have been laid off. And, and that, so that affects people we know. And maybe you're watching and say, yeah, I just lost my job. And a lot of businesses threatening filing for bankruptcy. So it's, it's definitely a time of fear. So this, this prayer is really all about faith. And, and, I, I want to point out the faith, you know, it, it's at the root of our, of our religion. It's at the root of our Christianity is how we do with faith. And I go, I go directly to the Hebrew because even the Greek pistos is really a translation of the Hebrew. And the Hebrew is what holds the concept. Faith is to trust in something. In fact, one of the exercises I give groups sometimes is when you look at all these scriptures, list out all these scriptures on faith, and just put the word trust in, in there. Put the word trust. Because that's really the heart of faith, of emuna, which is the Hebrew word for faith. To trust in something. To rely on something. To put your hope in something. To depend on something. To content, to be content in something. That, you know, when, when Paul talks about, I have learned to be content in all situations. The secret of being content is having emuna, is having faith in God. That no matter what happens in this world, I'm going to be okay to be, to, to be able to accept what is happening. And, and, and the result of that is shalom. It's peace. It's contentment. It's, it's confidence. It's being okay. You know, now the opposite of all that is when we don't have faith, when we don't have emuna, we get very people focused and we react to people and people can throw us off and people can cause problems. And, and even in the church, we get very people focused. Oh, that sister, that brother, this person, that leader, this, you know, and, and we get like everything gets focused on them because we're not focusing on God because we're not trusting in God. So all of a sudden people are a threat. Anybody that's doing something wrong. Uh, we get event driven where, where it's all about what the church is doing instead of what the church is being. It's all about what Christians are doing instead of what Christians are being, who we are. And, and naturally we get fearful, uh, without faith. For, 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 for most people in the world, the opposite of faith is unbelief, right? Or, or being atheistic, non-believing. But for a Christian, the opposite of faith is fear. That's the real problem. The more we, the less faith we have, the more fear we tend to have. And, and we get more worried and we're more anxious. And, 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 and oftentimes that fear, that worry, that anxious turns to anger. And if you don't deal with it, eventually it actually turns into bitterness. But we become resistant. We become fearful and defensive. And all these things happen when we lack faith. And so it is a time right now where everybody is struggling with this. Everybody is having to deal with this. I mean, I have to center myself and not react to what's happening in the world or what's happening in the news. In fact, truthfully, I stop watching regular news. I check every night really quick on YouTube what the major major events of the day are. If there's anything I need to know, is there anything I need to be aware of? But I don't watch anymore because I start getting upset 
or I get bothered or, or it, it, you know, honestly, there's, there's few things that hit our buttons like injustice and injustice has been brought into the light and that's good. But man, does it cause a lot of anxiety and, and just angst because the world is not just and things are still not made right. And there's still a lot of injustice. And there are people who are bad leaders being called good and good leaders being called bad. And, and there's so much in confusion out there that it, it just, and, and usually what oftentimes the results can be is people just quit. They'll quit on relationships. They'll quit on the church. They'll quit on God. They'll quit on, you know, they'll just quit. That's, that's oftentimes what we end up doing when we don't have emuna, when we don't have faith. And, and, and we need it so much. And, and believe me, you know, it's not just one person or a few people. All of us are feeling this to various degrees. I mean, I feel, I, I'm just, I'm, I am staying super close to God right now, trying to center myself, keep myself spiritually minded and spiritually based because there's so many things to throw us off. There's so many things to challenge us right now. So this ties in this, this prayer. Give us this day. Give us today our daily bread. It ties into Exodus 16. And we're going to jump right in at the beginning. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim. Now remember, this is when they're leaving Egypt and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, or Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We're not talking about being people-focused. When we lack faith, we get mad at leaders, we get mad at parents, we get mad at, you know, people who let us down. We just, we get very people focused. So they're all grumbling against Moses and Aaron. It says, the Israelites said to him, said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You know, I say it dramatically because obviously this is totally inaccurate. This is not what was happening. But this is what happens when people lose faith. They start seeing everything through gray-tinted glasses. Everything is ugly. Everything is gray. Everything is grim. Nothing is good. It always amazes me that when the, when somebody is struggling spiritually and they start saying things like, well, I was never close to anybody and I never felt loved and, and I didn't, you know, I was never happy in the church and da, da, da. And it's like, I remember you sharing at devotionals how loved you felt and how great you felt and how helped you were and how much you were served and all these things. But that's what happens when we lose faith. And of course, they're directing all their faith, their, their faithlessness, their anger. And, and what is it really? It's really fear. It's just fear. They're afraid of dying. It's scarcity. They're out in the desert. And I mean, it's funny. The, ne- the name of the desert is sin and there's not a correlation, but, but it's just funny that the name is desert of the, the desert is sin, but they're out in this desert and they don't know what, what am I going to feed my kids? What am I going to feed my grandparents, my parents? How am I going to, we going to survive? It's that, that fear quickly gets us. And they're saying, and then the other thing that oftentimes happens, it's an interesting phenomena, is all of a sudden people put rose-colored glasses on about the past. 
You know, and again, I've heard people say, man, before I, you know, became a Christian, I could do whatever I want and I was free and I, you know, and I got to do, you know, I had more time and da, da, da. And it's like, they totally forgot how miserable and lonely, how they were slaves to sin, how they couldn't break out of addictions or get away from hatred or get out of their hurt. And they forget all that. And it was like, I was so free before I was a Christian. I could do whatever I want, you know, and, and you get those rose colored glasses. They say, we sat around pots of meat. And ate all the food we wanted. What a perspective. They were slaves. And they, for 400 years, they were crying out to God to save them and to send a Messiah, to send a savior. And, and that, but they forgot all that. And it's like, man, it was so much better before. And that's, that's what happens when there's faithlessness. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring, what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on for the other days. So God, as God is, He continues to take care of them despite their faithlessness. He continues to to love them, to take care of them, and He's literally going to rain he- bread from heaven. That's going to come down and sustain them. But he's testing them. He says, you can only collect enough for one day, except on the sixth day, you collect twice as much because on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work, but only one for a day. And of course, what do they do? They, they test them, right? Um, and it says that evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is hilarious. You know, we, we, we call that manna, right? Well, what does manna mean in Hebrew? It means, what is it? Manna? You know, it's, it's like, what, what is this? And, and it was God taking care of them. This then is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered as much as they needed. So this was the key. God provided what they needed, right? I mean, he didn't, he didn't provide a bunch of, 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 you know, Maseratis and Ferraris to drive around the desert. He provided what they needed, their daily supply of bread. And you know that was a test. He was testing their faith. Can they depend on him? Can they rely on him? And, and you know the story. We don't have time to go to the whole story. But you know that in the story, they some gathered too much and it rotted. And, and, and God rebuked them for it, to trust him. Because what is faith? It's emuna. And what is emuna? It's trust. Trusting God. Relying on him. Putting our hope in him. Depending on him. Being content in whatever he does. Accepting the things that he gives us. Not envying others. Not being afraid of others. Not being, not being fearful and anxious and worried about our lives, but trusting God and giving God our lives. And I know, I realize what I'm saying is really easy to say, but it's a whole nother thing doing it, especially in times like right now, where we're going through it. I mean, you know, people are scared. People are afraid. There's seriously 
thousands of people losing their jobs. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people whose unemployment checks are ending. There are tens of thousands. There are 30 million people in the country who have filed, who are filing late for mortgages, for extensions that are going to run out at the end of this month. There's, there's a lot happening in our world that is just scary. So what does it mean? It means that when the fear factor goes up, the faith factor has to go higher. When we, when fear mounts, so must our faith in response. Because if it doesn't, then we become people-focused, event-driven, fearful, worried, anxious, angry, resistant, and, and our hot spots. What are hot spots? Those are areas where we struggle to have faith. You know, it can be, you know, it, everybody has them. I, I have mine, you know. I work hard. I try to love everybody. When somebody falsely accuses me of not working hard or not loving people, it hurts. It really hurts. And I really have to put my faith in God. There, we all have those areas. Some, for some people, it's money. You know, when, we, when we're short on money, for some people, it's people changing plans at the last minute or, or people, you know, being, being difficult or, all of us have them. You, you should know yours because when that thing, whenever that hot spot that you have pops up or somebody hits your hot spot button, then, then you got to know, okay, I got to mount up my faith. You know, when somebody attacks or something happens or a situation arises or something happens that it challenges us, we all have those sensitive areas. That's where our faith must rise up to it. And, and right now, more than ever in my entire life, I think our entire world is being challenged. I'm seeing it. I mean, I don't, I wasn't around in World War I and World War II, but I think it had to be something like this where people just had to live with fear and overcoming it. And, and we can't be quitters on God. We can't be quitters on each other. We can't be quitters on life. We have to just be faithful as we get through it. You know, first Peter chapter one, he says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And notice that he, he says this in the present, you are receiving the salvation of your soul. It's not just what happens when you die, it's what happens today. Your soul is being taken care of. It's what happens when we stay focused on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, that we are being saved even now. And many things happen to challenge that. You know, Michelle and I, we, we, we've been through hurricanes. We've been through tropical sicknesses and some of the places we went to plant churches. We've been assaulted. We've, we were in New York on 9-11 and we're in the middle of it all. We were, we've been through fire evacuations in San Diego. We've been through financial upheaval. Every time we were asked to move from one country to another, it was pretty, pretty much financially disastrous. Uh, we, we, we've lived in political fear. I've been in cities in the middle of an uprising, 
revolution where soldiers were fighting and, and tanks were rolling by in front of my hotel. I, you know, we, we've, we've had leadership concerns. We've been under horrible leadership. Sometimes we've been under great leadership most of the time, but we've had those times. We, and, and here we are now in an economic uncertainty. And so what must we do? We must just pray and trust God. We must have emuna. We have to just understand that if I stay close to God, all this is going to do is make my faith stronger. And my faith is being purified. We've probably all heard that classic story where the, where the kid walks up to the, to the, to the, um, uh, blacksmith who's pounding out silver and he's making something out of silver. And the, and the boy asks him, how do you know when you're done, because he keeps sticking it in the fire, he takes it out, puts it in the water, pound on it, pound on it, sticks it in the fire, puts it in the water, pound on it, pound on it, and he keeps doing it. And the boy, after several times seeing him do this, he said, how do you know when it's finished, when it's ready? And he said, when I can see myself in the reflection. And of course, that's what God is doing with us. When he can see himself in us, that's when our faith has arrived. And you know what? We're all working to get there. We're all striving to get there. We're not there yet. And these times are absolutely purifying times. These are absolutely the ability to be content and to be safe in Jesus and not worry and not be anxious. I mean, God said you are worth far more than these sparrows that God takes care of every single day. That's what Jesus said. I love this proverb, Proverbs 38, 9. He says, keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I love that prayer. He's not asking for riches. He's asking just, this is the same prayer as give us this day our daily bread. He's asking, help me to have just what I need. I don't want to go needy. I don't want to be tempted to do something I shouldn't do. Help me to have what I need and no more. Help me not to have too much. Help me not to have more than what I need. Because then I might forget who is God. And I might not see my need for you. I mean, I tell you one thing that's coming out of all of this stuff happening in the world is a lot more people are praying and, and, you know, I mean, here we had the focus of keeping your eyes on Jesus this year. Wow. We had no idea how tense, intense this year was going to be. And you can see the growing spirituality of the church. People sharing scriptures with each other. People praying together, fasting together. What I call spontaneous spirituality. All across the region, different Bible talks, different groups doing things that are spiritual. The squad and the wonderful work that they're doing. Holding things to a spiritual standard and helping us get through this spiritually. I mean, just so many incredible things happening in the realm of spirituality of the group in the midst of the time where we most need it. Coincidence? I don't think so. It's what we needed and the challenge that we're rising up to. So our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread. It's just asking God to meet our needs and trusting him. He may not give us more than we need today. He may not, he may not guarantee us anything in the future, but he gives us what we need. 
And that means we have to just trust him and believe in him. And we can't be like the Israelites who ended up having to be out in the desert for 40 years. In John 6, Jesus said, well, it says, so they asked him, what, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, what was happening is he was basically sharing who he was, and they wanted proof of who is he really. And, the, and, and is he really going to be able to take care of them? And what difference is he really going to make? I mean, they were questioning Jesus. And there are people that have the, that had the audacity, and they're still all today. And they were questioning Jesus, you know, are you really a good leader? Are you really the Messiah? Do you really know what you're doing? And he says, and they say, you know, our ancestors ate manna, basically saying that, that they were taken care of out in the desert. And then Jesus told them this. He said, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Their salvation didn't come from Moses. They put a lot of stock in Moses. Moses was great. He was awesome. He was a man of faith. But he wasn't really the Messiah. He was a forerunner of the real Messiah. And again, when people become faithless, it becomes all about people. And he says, he says, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. See, you have, we have to understand that it's God who takes care of us. Because if we think it's people then we become dependent on people and, and we get too uptight about who's leading the country or who's leading the state or who's leading the city. Are those things important? Yes, they're important. But are they ultimately what's important? No, it's God who takes care of us or who's leading the church or who's leading my, my region or who's leading my Bible talk or who's leading me in discipling. All of those questions, yeah, they're important, but the most important is understanding that God is leading, and it's God who takes care of us. And he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. You know, and and, and so often they were so unspiritual. And the problem is, when you're unspiritual, you can't see anything different. You can't see, you can't see what God is doing. And, and to really be able to see God's hand, that is a, 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 one of the obvious traits of spirituality, is you see how God is moving and you can trust God and, and you know he's present. You're not wondering, where's God? You know he's moving because you see his hand moving and you, and you see him working around you. And, but they weren't. They were like, okay, we'll take that bread. You know, wow, bread that never goes bad. Yeah, give me some of that bread. And again, they weren't misunderstanding. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never grow thirsty. Will never go be thirsty. Who's our bread? It's Jesus. He takes care of us. He sustains us. Not a political system. Not a government. Not, not any person. Not not, not a job, not a career, not education, not our looks, not our talent. God. And God sent Jesus. And Jesus will take care of us. And whoever's with Jesus, he says, he promises, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And yeah, I understand there's metaphors here. But it means our needs will be met. That's what it means. 
And so we don't have to have that, we don't have to live in that fear of, oh no, what's going to happen to us? What, what, how will I make it? We don't have to live in that, which will destroy us from the inside out. In Mark 14, 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And this is, of course, the end of his ministry. This is the very end, the night before he's crucified. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. You see, this is why it's so important when we take communion, that we are celebrating what Jesus did for us, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We are celebrating that he gave his body for us, the bread of life so that we can have our needs taken care of, so that we have what we truly need, so that we can be in shalom. So even in the midst of a storm, we can still find peace. I was an art and history double major in college. And one time there was a storm outside, and our professor sent us outside to paint the storm. You know, some people just painted swirls and lines, and some people painted trees falling over. And then he had one student hold up their painting. And what he did is he painted the swirls and the wind blowing. He painted the trees bent over. But in the tree was a little nest. And, oh, I forgot to tell you, the, the, he wanted us not just to paint the storm, but he said, I want you to paint faith faith. And so what this person did is in the tree was a little nest and a little bird smiling. And he said, this is faith. In the midst of the storm, the bird is at peace. It's not being at peace when everything's great. It's not being at peace when life's rolling along well. It's being at peace now when so much stuff is happening. It's being at peace when somebody hits your hot button, <laughs> your, when somebody stretches you, when somebody challenges you, when somebody hurts you. It's being at peace when the world is scary, when there's so much happening in it. That's shalom. And that is for all of us. There's an old saying, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. You see, this isn't about, this isn't a prayer for what happens when we die. This is a prayer for now. And Jesus knew that in just a few years, a few decades, Jerusalem would be destroyed and wiped out. And that many, many people would die. And that there would be terrible suffering. He knew that. And so he was preparing them. Just as he prepared us all for Judgment Day. Just as he prepares us all for the days of head, good times and bad times, to bring heaven to us now, to help us find shalom, to help us find the peace that transcends all understanding, even now, in the midst of all these challenges, in the midst of all that's going on. So, what does he want us to do? To pray to hand it over to God. I want to close out with this little story that I came across. Actually, I heard somebody and I got it from them. It says, Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. 
Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful horse. And even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable, and all the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better for you to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, Don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people of the village laughed. They thought that the man was crazy. They had always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money. After about two weeks, the horse returned. He, didn't, he hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Old man, you were right, and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us, the man responded. The man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? The old man had a son and only a son. Excuse me. The old man had a son and only son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. The only, your only son has broken his legs, and now your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. Again, the old man spoke. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if it is a blessing or a curse? It so happens that a few weeks later, the country engaged in war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. You were right, old man. They wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he's with you. Our sons have gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war and mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one knows. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. The lesson, no matter what happens, just keep your faith in God. Only God knows. Buen Camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.